And the sergeant says, you know, Melvin, you're a good soldier, but you got a big mouth. <laughs> sergeant Mel Copeland has never been hesitant to express himself. But as an African-American serving his country in World War II, there were times, too many times, when Mel had to bite his tongue. Nonetheless, he eagerly went into harm's way to serve his country, and now, more than three quarters of a century later, his pride in that service is unbending. Mel's early desire was to be a pilot, but when you're 6'5", it's hard to get the cockpit canopy to close over your head. So Mel had to opt to become part of the crew on the ground for the famed Tuskegee Airmen. He served in Africa, later Sicily and Italy, loading munitions on the planes that wore the red tails. He supervised enemy prisoners with a measure of respect. He survived two close calls with death. Now in his 97th year, Mel Copeland proudly says, I would do it all over again. I wanted to go because I loved America. I said, I want to go. And my parents said, you're only, you're only 15 years old. I said, well, guess what? I'll be 16 coming up. And when I get to be 16, I'm out of here. So you felt the need to serve. Oh, right I away. had to serve. And when I got discharged, I kissed the ground that the American soil was on. When you I love home. America. So your, your desire early on was to be a paratrooper. Oh, God, please. Yeah, you wanted to be a paratrooper. And I went to officer's training school for that. Why did you want to be a paratrooper? I wanted to get close where I could shoot better. Okay. And when I got in there, six feet, oh, you're almost six five. And you weigh 120 pounds, we can't use your mail as for, for the, uh, your head hits the ceiling. So they, they put me in uh, a, a unit where I was in charge of Germans. The Germans. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, I'll be honest to tell you, I like them a lot better than I like the Japanese. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> they said, we're here because of Hitler. We're not here because of you. Mm -hmm. You're a nice guy. I said, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I better watch you when, you when you're behind me. <laughs> well, back, you had a friend. Both of you guys wanted to become. I had a Jewish guy. It was my best friend. a Jewish friend, and he jumped. He did a jump. Right. And he broke his leg. Right. And it wouldn't take my blood. It, but he needed blood, and you volunteered. And they said, no way. Tell me that story. Why did that happen? He was bleeding pretty well. And I said, well, I, I like him. He's a, he and I have gone all the way through uh, training together. Uh, and I want, I want to save him. I don't want him to die. And he said, we're not taking any nigger, nigger blood. Who said that? Who, a commanding officer? One of the guys that was with the uh, unit that gives the blood out. So what was your reaction to that? I said, well, why not? He says, we don't, we don't, we're not dealing with niggers here today, Buster. No, no black people, no black soldiers. And my buddy was saying, Mel, don't worry about it. I said, I do worry about it. It's wrong. It's not right. 
And one of my other friends who went to school with, he and I, said, Mel, I'll do it. And he did it for us. So he, the other guy, donated his blood to your right, friend. Right, And he says, you know, one of the nicest guys on the planet, and they won't take your blood. He says, you just about turned me off of the military. <laughs> and you were the same blood type, too, right? Right. When you think about that today, when you step when you step back at that time and thought about that, I presume you were pretty angry. Oh, very angry. Were you, but you weren't able to express yourself. No. Because you didn't have any standing with the guy who said what he said to you. That was only the second time I didn't like the military. The first time was I went to the colonel and said, the food is not good here for these guys. They don't like it, and we need to get some better food. It was a food that we had every damn morning. I can't think of it now. And the sergeant said, you know, Melvin, you're a good soldier, but you got a big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All you do is go around complaining about what we don't have and how we should treat the guys. I said, they are, I said they're family. Why shouldn't I treat them good? I love them. They would, they would, uh, they would stop somebody from shooting me if they were on the on the horizon there. Why shouldn't I like them? He says, you know, you got a good point. <laughs> a good we'll point, to, but 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 nothing changed, right? Oh no, they did get better food. Oh, they did. Right. Well, your he, big your big mouth helped out. <laughs> yeah, he says your big mouth is. Right on target. <laughs> yeah, we got better food. Back to your induction. When, when, when you got in, you're 6'5", you're 118 pounds. Right. And what's the recruiter say? What the hell are we going to do with this guy? He can't even hardly walk. <laughs> He's so damn skinny. And they said, look, he's part of us. I don't want to hear that anymore. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you say that again, I'll be on your, on your ass. Mm -hmm. Don't say nothing negative about Mel. He's an officer here. Wake up. Mm -hmm. So I took care of that. <laughs> but you were an athlete. You were track. You were basketball. Track, you were football. Yeah. Oh, they liked that in me. Okay. They thought that... Uh, we're going to have good moments to play games because this guy, he looks better than some of the pros. <laughs> so you set your sights on becoming a Tuskegee Airman. Right. And you wanted to pilot. You wanted to be a pilot. Yeah. What happened? Too tall. My head hit the ceiling. Couldn't put the cockpit over your head, no. though, right? Mm -mm. The lid wouldn't close. No. <laughs> How'd you take that? What'd you decide to do? Well... They put me in another outfit with the Germans and the Japs, and they told me I was in charge of being sure they did their jobs and get on the truck. And when they come, when when they, when you guys are through working, you are in charge to get them all on the rock and get them here without any problems. This was when you were in Alabama. No, that's when I was in Africa. Oh, wait a minute. Come back, come back to me to Alabama when you when you went down for 
you wanted to become a pilot, right? And that didn't work out because of your height. And so, what happened then? What what role? Well, did it you worked play? out well when I was in Alabama. It didn't work out well when I got on the plane. <laughs> right, but but you became a uh, uh, ground crew basically then. Yeah, I, I loaded the bombs, and I and was in charge of the setting those machine guns up. So you're a munitions guy. You're loading yeah, the bombs in, and all the munitions yeah, on the aircraft. I was in that area. In addition, you're supervising prison details, captured Germans and Italians on the base in Italy. The Italians were uh, on our necks because they thought we were going to blow up that uh, place where they do their re religion. What do they call it? The Vatican. Right, the Vatican. And I told them I hadn't got any news of any blowing up of the Vatican, but that doesn't stop you from doing what you're supposed to. I said, you get over there and start doing this, you get over there. I was ordering around all over the place, and they were obeying. Mm -hmm. They and the Germans were not difficult to cope with. Tell me about the time when the bomb hit on base and you were blown away from the When position. I was blown away, they, they dragged me out of the latrine. You were blown into a latrine. Right. And all the other things therein. And they cleaned me up. And they said, Mel, we, we care about you. You got a big ass mouth, but we really like you. <laughs> so we, <laughs> they got me out of the plane. And just as sure as God made green apples, the next day I got blown up again. How did that happen? I stepped on a mine. And the guy that, that was in charge of those mines pulled me up just as I was blown up. He grabbed my arm. And I survived that, too. So, Although I was in the hospital for two and a half weeks. So your, your foot is on the mine itself. Right. And then you've got some technicians or somebody coming to help you out. Right. And what do, the, what do you do? Shift your weight to come off the mine? Yeah. I didn't have much weight to shift with what I had. <laughs> <laughs> but you managed to get off, and, and then it blew up as you stepped off? As I'm stepping off, it, was long, it blew up. What kind of... I, I had scratches all over my arms, my legs. They put me in a... In a, in a of all things, they put me in a jeep and took me to the hospital. I was in the hospital almost three weeks. So it took a while. It took a while to mend from that. Right. The first time it took me a month. The second time about two or three weeks because I didn't want to stay. I wanted to get out and fight with the rest of the guys. Tell me of your pride in the Tuskegee Airmen the most important thing I've ever been in in my life. It meant so much to me. Because I was pushing to get involved and some of the guys were saying, shit, I want to go home. <laughs> I'm sick of this shit. <laughs> and the fact that I could be close to someone who was black like me meant a lot to me. Because we weren't always accepted as black people in, in, in the Army. 
I remember one night we decided to go out. So I got with these guys and went out to get some drinks with them. And this was my white guy from, this is before he got blown, before he dropped out of his parachute. And he went with us and he wasn't prejudiced, you know. He, he said, I like Melvin just like us. And the guy said, we don't want to drink with him or any of the other black dudes. So we had to get away from that and go on our own. And it's not pleasant to be in the Army and have people that don't like you. And you feel a part of the whole thing, like I did. I felt that I was part of the, the Army. How did, how did you handle those moments? I didn't do so well. The only thing I did, having been in college, having been exposed to some of that, it didn't, it didn't affect me like it did some of the other black guys who went. And they would come to me and say, what do you think of this smell? I said, these guys are like family. If you got one or two in there that don't like black people, that's part of what you have to live with. But we have to live with the others. So come and deal with the program. Deal with the task at hand. Right. And they love my expression, deal with the program. Mm -hmm. They said, do you mean deal with the program? I said, that's what I meant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Tuskegee Airmen in the air are racking up incredible I think they flew, what, 15,000 sorties? Oh, yeah. And, uh, they were wrapping up uh, all kinds of gains. I wasn't always with them. I had designated guys to load them up and everything. But my job was also with the German prisoners. I had to work with them. How did they handle their imprisonment? And they, they didn't handle it very well. They thought that we should have stopped uh, Hitler from getting everybody in trouble. So you're supervising these prisoners. What was the interaction that you had with them? What were you, you telling them to do certain tasks during the course of a day? But it's how I told them. I told them with respect. I said, hey, you, would you mind going over there and doing this? Would you mind going over there doing this? Hey, we, we need you. you. You guys are smart. You, you know what you're doing. And boy, the colonel called me and said, how do you get these guys to do everything like you've been doing? I said, respect. If you don't get respect, you don't do anything either. So you employed a different psychology A then. different a method of how to handle these guys. They had some guys working with them that was pushing them around, calling them dirty names, and you don't treat people that way, you know? Even enemy combatants. No, that's just not my style. Did, did they share any stories with you about their attitude toward the war? Yeah. What did they tell you? They said they didn't want to be in the war. But Hitler insisted on either we join or we, or we get shot. They'd kill us if we didn't stay in the war. And they openly said that to you. So, yeah.
The Tuskegee Airmen painted red tails on the planes, on their planes, which was their signature. Um, what did you think of that when you began to, when you noticed that? Was that that's a statement of pride, is it not? Oh yeah, I just I, I praise them for that. This is if you can find some find things that makes you feel better as a human being, go on. Mm -hmm. You got my permission to do it. What did you think when VE Day finally came around? I thought it was great, terrific. Uh, anything that praises us was wonderful in my in my book. When when your the last missions are are coming to an end in Italy and the pilots are coming off their planes and you realize that the end is near. Mm. What conversations are you having? Uh, what are you going to do when you get out of here, out of service? And they were shocked that a black man would say, I'm going to kiss the ground I walk on when I get out. Mm -hmm. You said that? Yeah. And they said, what the hell does that mean, Melvin, the way they've been treating you? I said, it means I love the country. I don't, it isn't about, it isn't about you, me, or the, or the soldiers we all rally behind. It's about the country. We have a beautiful country. Let's, let's make it, let's keep it beautiful. And let's don't let it get down and out. So when you came home, you did kiss the ground? I kissed the ground. Where did you do that? Right at the, before I got on the plane. I kissed the ground that I walk on. And when I got home, I did it again. My dad said, what the hell are you doing? I said, I'm kissing the ground that I walked on. He said, wow, you, wow, you really like the service. No, I didn't like the service. I like the country that we are defending ourselves to maintain the service. There is a difference, Dad. What do you say to that? Wow. He <laughs> yeah. said, I take my hat off to you, son. I think you told me when we first talked that if the call came to serve again... I'd do it again. And I'm 97 years old. And I would... I would Give me something to do. No. Give me something I can do to phrase my love for America. I feel that way right today as I'm talking to you. I think it's a fair question, though, to ask, how could you have a deep love for America when some of the men in the service treated you as they did because of the color of your skin? Because I wanted to do something in my contact with the other soldiers to show them that I love America. And if I love America and they're defending America with me, I love them. How can you tell somebody if you love them, they're not going to respond positive to that? Right. After the war, you came home and you went to Ohio University. Right. You wanted to get your education. But what's really quite incredible is you didn't end it there. You continued and you got a couple of master's degrees. Three. And you went into clinical psychology. 
Why did you do that? What was your cho choice there? I did that because I wanted to learn something about how we react when we're mistreated as soldiers. Because there was a lot of soldiers who I thought were not given a fair shake when they did things that they weren't supposed to in the Army. And I wanted to learn as much as I could about psychology, people who go to, go to these different places to get help. And another thing I wanted to learn about was we had a lot of suicides in our outfit. Why are you killing yourself? Why don't you want to live? I wanted to know about what was their reason for saying I want to kill myself. So you're doing this, you're, learning, you're getting your education, your higher education, at some prestigious places, Northwestern, University of Chicago, and you work that into a 40-year career. Right. Uh, teaching. Right. And sharing your knowledge with other people. Right. In, in the Elgin School System, Elgin Community College, right. Aurora University. Right. That must have been an, a rewarding experience because- It was, because I, I helped kids I help parents understand their kids, and I made myself feel good, not about the money, but the contacts I had with families, because I'd go to the Spanish families after work. They'd invite me for different kinds of <laughs> Mexican food, and I'd talk to them about their role as Mexicans should be push so that the Mexicans can get the credit for the decency that they have. So you're championing inequality all the way along. Your, your, your life's experience has been that. Right. Feel pretty good about that, do you? I do it all over again. Today, if you could ask me. <laughs> well, life never stops, does it, Mel? Well, in 2019, you went on honor flight. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that experience. Beautiful experience. To see the soldiers who felt that they didn't defend our country, and they would also do it again. That made me feel like a real soldier. Somebody special in our country. We need more people special in our country. We don't need to be separated. I don't need to be separated from you. When you come to my house, you're part of my family. So why should I walk around thinking you're not special? Dignity and worth. Right. And this is not something I just talk about. This is something I do every day. I, tell, I had a guy out here tell me, I don't like black people. I said, that's your right not to black. If, if you don't like us, that's your right. I said, but I care about you. He said, you can't care about me. I said, where do you get the knowledge that I can't care about you? He called me the other day and said, Mel, you made me feel like a human being. I thought about what you said, and my God, I said, this guy, where the hell did he come from? <laughs> and he can tell me after I call him something that he didn't like, 
I called him from the United and he said he still loves me. How do you, how do you handle that? That's, oh, I got to tell you this. I had two kids. I was teaching kids over at Red Circle School, which is a Elgin school. And I, I got them off of drugs, all kinds of drugs, black beauties, roaches, you name it. They said, we're taking you to dinner. I said, why are you taking me to dinner? Because you got us through college. You told us how important college is for us to work hard on. You made us feel good as human beings. You made us feel like we're not just routine students, that we need to get our act together. And you got our act together, and we're taking out for lunch. And I said, I'll buy you ice cream. They said, you ain't buying shit. You, you, we just want you to go with us because you were special in our book. That's a nice reward, isn't it? Yeah, I, I went out to dinner with them. They took me to their house. I met their parents all over again. The parents said, oh, you're back with us. Yeah. I said, yeah, I'm back. I'll teach you done good. <laughs> right. Right. So I did a good job with you guys. If you were to speak in front of a classroom of kids about your experience... What would you tell them? What's the most important thing you could tell them? To care about people you're involved with, number one. And not only to care about them, but to help them to become more wonderful inside and praising these people. Are you happy with the course of your 97 years? Oh, God, yeah. I hope I get 97 more good ones like that. That's one I had. No regrets? None. The only regrets I had was people misunderstood us because of nationality and race, and we should be out here to help us to help turn that around so everybody can be loved and we can give love like we ask for love. I think the most important thing in God's repertory was love. He used our love to bake us, and he used something else to keep us alive, and I praise that. Well, Sergeant Mel, I wish you good health and thank you for your service. And I'm, I appreciate you coming over to see me. And if you want to start all over again where we left off, we can. <laughs> or if you want to go back in service again, I'll go with you. <laughs> I don't have a problem. All right. You're still got the, you still got the spunk. <laughs> you know what I do when I work out? I work out twice a week when I can. I tell the lady, you don't use it, you lose it. <laughs> right? This is true. This okay. is true. This is true. Great. Thanks, Mel. And anytime you want to talk to me, you're part of the family, okay? That's the only way it can be. Okay, All that right. or nothing. That or nothing. A postscript on Mel Copeland. After kissing the ground on his return to the States, Mel filled his post-war life with accomplishment, master's degrees in social work and counseling, a 40-year teaching career in Elgin, and later, 10 years as a licensed clinical therapist for the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services. Mel didn't retire, until he was 90. Thanks, Mel.
hope you found today's Honor, Thank, Inspire episode to be moving and meaningful. If you did, please consider sharing this podcast and make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The impact Honor Flight Chicago has on the lives of our veterans and their families is made possible by the generosity of our donors. To support our mission, to find our veteran application, to volunteer, or simply for more information, please visit us at honorflightchicago.org.